So we've been in this series, and um, it's, a, it's a series, we started it basing it on um, Daniel and Lion's Den, right, and, and laying with lions, and what it looks like to have a ridiculous faith uh, that believes God for the miraculous, and if you want to see God do the miraculous, we must be willing to do the ridiculous, and ridiculous, to, it, it just depends on who you are, where you are in life, and I just have this thought that if God is really who we think he is, if God is really who the Bible says he is, if God is really who most of us that have given our life to him so far, if he really is that God, if he really is the God of the universe, like let's just think for a minute. Let's, let's take the God of the gumball machine prayers out of our mind. Hey, I prayed this prayer, I sowed this seed, I did this thing, now I'll twist the, twist the knob and I'll get an answer out. Well, let's get rid of that God for a minute. Let's think about this. We get to be in relationship with the God that created the universe. And it is such a complex universe. It is so, our bodies are so, we are so complex that we learn something new about our universe and our lives every single day. And there's still so much that we don't know. And the reality is we get to be in relationship with the God, that God that created the universe. We get to be in relationship with the God that parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites could walk through on dry land. Come on, I got two people with me today. We get to be in relationship with the God that, see, that never leaves and never forsakes. If God is that God, shouldn't our lives look like it? And what if I would challenge you with this thought? What if we could take a, uh, an assessment of our prayers, our worship, and our dedication to God's word, and we said, those things are indicative of the God we actually serve. What if it's possible to say we believe a God, but our lives actually show a different version? What if it's possible to go, yeah, he's the God of the universe, man, I'm in relationship with him. And really all we're seeking is not to go to hell. Rather than everything that he is. And what if I were to tell you that God is not interested in you surviving this life? but thriving in life, but getting all that he has and being a part of all that he has for us because I just believe that ridiculous faith in a big God actually looks like something. A relationship with the God of the universe, I believe, is worth being bold about. It's worth being bold about. It's worth doing something about. And when we realize that God chases after us, he chases after us. I want you to think about this. God is not sitting on a throne just going, well, one day, maybe they'll come to you. God is literally proactively coming after your soul. He wants relationship with you. How do you know that? He sent his son to pay a debt that you didn't even know that you needed paid. In hopes and in faith that you would come to relationship with him. He's chasing after your soul. He wants our relationship. He wants our loyalty. He wants our commitment. And when I realize that the God of the universe is chasing me personally, individually, and uniquely, when I realize that God is big enough to answer any prayer that I have, when God is big enough, I wanna, I wanna free somebody of something today. God is not called off guard by whatever you're dealing with in your life. And God is not intimidated by what you're dealing with in your life. There is nothing happening in any life in this world today. Now, it may catch us off guard, but nothing that is happening in your life did God go, man, huh, 
didn't see that one coming. Nothing. There's nothing that you're facing where God's going, man, I don't really, I'm going to have to call in the angels on this one because I don't really know what the, I don't even know how to get through. There's nothing you're dealing with that God cannot already deal with. There's nothing that you're dealing with that God hasn't already put something in place to deal with. And when I realize that is the God that I get a relationship with, can I tell you what happens? Something in me changes. The way I pray, the way I worship, the way I believe, the way I read, the way I I commit my life to him, the way I serve changes. I just want people, followers of Jesus, to realize that the God of the universe, that we don't have to wait until we arrive in his presence at the day of our death. We don't have to wait for that to really walk with God, but he's with us today and eternity starts the moment I surrender my life to him. There's more to life than just... God, just get me by. Just get me by. Just if you will, just if you could, just if you might. No, there's more to God than that. There's more to God than like, hey, I know there's seasons. We talked about this last week. There's seasons where you just go, God, I just got to get through this, man. Like, this, is, this one's hard. It's taking everything I got mentally. It's taking everything I got physically. It's taking everything I got spiritually, emotionally, like everything. God, it's draining me. But if that, is, if that season is your way of life, then there's something off. Seasons shouldn't become life. Seasons are moments, not life. And, and, and God's going, no, 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 I got more for you than that. I w- I'm the God of the universe. What are you afraid of? What are you worried about? What are you going? Just trust me. And in Matthew chapter 14, there's this story of a ridiculous faith where a man named Peter, we're going to set up the story and walk through it, but a man named Peter steps out of a boat, walks on water. But watch this. I want you to title the, the message just today, Walk on a Word. Walk, walk on a Word. Some of us need to learn to walk on a Word. Some of us think Peter walked on water. I don't think he walked on water. I think he walked on a word. I don't think he was walking on water at all. I think water was just a constant there. I think there was a word that Peter was walking on. And he was able to encounter Jesus in a new way because he was walking on a word. In, in, in Matthew chapter 14, if you read the chapters, I think context is important. If you read the chapters and the verses surrounding verses 28 through 31, where we're really going to be today, you see a lot of things happening. Jesus is teaching groups of people in parables. He says that he tells stories, which are parables, so that anybody, no matter where they are in their relationship with Jesus, can understand the kingdom principles. So he makes it that way. But he says he speaks deeper to his disciples, those that are closer to him and that's what you're seeing around chapter 14 and then at the beginning of chapter 14 John the Baptist is killed and martyred for his faith in God and then as you get to the middle of chapter 14 that's where he feeds 5,000 people and he takes the bread and the fish and he multiplies it and all this stuff is taking place right it's amazing but then there's this moment where Jesus kind of just goes away and there's a rhythm that some of us need to learn in life this is free this is free for you. It's not in my notes, but it's free for you. Some of us need to learn this rhythm that Jesus had, that every time he wanted to do something great or did something great, he went alone by himself before and after. He went alone to spend time with God. See, some of you got to learn a, a rhythm of rest because some of you ain't got nothing left to give, but you're asking God to give you more. You got to learn to turn it off sometimes and just go, you know what? My phone's off. My social media's off. Come on. I'm going to take a nap today, praise God. I didn't have anything yesterday. It's the only, it, this is the first time, and I can't tell you how long. I had two Saturdays back-to-back with nothing to do. And you know what I did? I slept till 10 o'clock yesterday, praise God. Come on. I laid in that bed, boy. I was like, hmm, go watch Bluey. 
Go watch blue. I did get up, make some protein pancakes and bacon, praise God. That is from heaven itself. But anyway, so all this is happening, and Jesus goes away, and the, the disciples are in a boat. A storm comes up, and, and, and well, not really a storm, but like waves are all around, and wind is all around. All this stuff's happening, right? It's, it's just crazy. All this stuff's happening. And, and, and watch this, 28 through 31, if you read 26, it says they saw Jesus walking on the sea, and it says they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And some of us like want to be like, How, why were you terrified? It was Jesus. You shouldn't be terrified. Listen, let something walk around in your house tonight <laughs> when you ain't expecting it. Like, I got, a, I got a five-year-old that shows up at the foot of my bed at 2 a.m. <laughs> y'all might need to pray for him. <laughs> like, I'm just saying, y'all, it's a ghost! No, that's your son, but... So don't judge the disciples in that. So they're, they're freaking out. They're crying out in fear. They're scared, right? And then verse 27, it says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them. I love how Jesus shows up, scares people, and then he goes, don't be afraid, it's me. <laughs> like, think about it. Like, Jesus in the intertestamental period before the angel shows up and talks to Mary, there's 400 years of silence. God hadn't talked in 400 years through an angel or anybody. And all of a sudden, Mary's minding her own teenage business watching the Kardashians on TV or whatever she's doing, right? And she's doing all that. She's watching that. And an angel shows up and goes, don't be afraid. And she's like, ain't nobody heard from you in 400 years. I'm going to be afraid. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Let my presence actually offer peace in the midst of, of that. There's a lesson there. But anyway, let me keep going. It's I, don't be afraid. And then verse 28, I want to read 28 through 31 with you. It says, Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and, and he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save, save me. In verse 31, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took a hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why, why did you doubt? And, and we will vilify Peter in that moment. Oh God, he had little faith, he had little faith. And we'll forget, we'll forget a few of these, these things. Ridicul Listen, let me tell you about ridiculous faith. Ridiculous faith requires you to walk on a word, not a guarantee. Yeah. A lot of us will never get out of the boat until we're guaranteed the success on the other side. God, I'll change jobs when. I know you're telling me to, but you better guarantee something to me. God, I'll, I'll move on this when you guarantee what's going to happen. And God, God never asked you to walk on a guarantee. God has always asked us as we put our life into his and we begin to replace our faith and our life with his. He's always asked us to walk on a word and, and, and on faith with him. Here's three things about ridiculous faith. Number one, ridiculous faith pioneers ridiculous faith pioneers. Here's what a pioneer does. A pioneer goes before everybody else. You could call a pioneer a trailblazer. They go the path before anybody else. We will vilify Peter with the statement of, you have little faith, why did you doubt? How dare you, Peter? While there's an entire boat of disciples sitting back. And they sat back in fear, and Peter goes, no, I'm gonna create an encounter. And I'm actually gonna speak to him, because if it's him, I'll know his voice. I'll know his voice. I'll know what he says. And here's what I know. Fear will paralyze us, but faith will propel us. Fear will paralyze me to stay in a boat. You ever ask this question, what if? What if? What if? What if I do this and it don't work out? Y'all ever ask that? Maybe this is my personality, but I'm always, I ask that afterwards. Like I'll do it and then I'm like, yeah, that could have turned out pretty bad. 
May not, may not be the best. Fear paralyzes us. Fear paralyzes us with the question of what if. What if I do this and it don't work? What if, and I just want to challenge you. Peter saw things a little different. He didn't go, what if I do it and don't work? He goes, what if I do it and it does? What if I do it and God actually is the God that he says he is? What, what if I pray this prayer and, it's not, and, and, and I still have faith that he can do whatever he wants? He doesn't have to move at my command, but he can do whatever he wants. But like, God is still God. And what if it does work? Like, I, I don't want to pray for my coworker. I don't even like them. It's hard to dislike somebody you pray for, by the way. So if you got a problem liking somebody, start praying for them. Anyway, and you got this, and it's like, but what if it works? What if this invite does work? What if this prayer does work? What if this generosity does work? What if this serving does work? What if this next step does work? Everybody else is paralyzed by fear. While Peter goes, I'm going to be propelled by faith. Ridiculous faith causes us to do what others won't because we're willing to believe what others don't. Ridiculous faith causes us to go, you know what, I want different results. You want a different result in your faith? You want a different result in your life? Let me tell you what to do. This is real simple. Find out what others are not willing to do and go do that. Go do what scares everybody else. I, I want to I I get in shape. Well, most other people will say that and not go to the gym. How about you just start going to the gym and start eating right? I'm trying to make a real practical bottom shelf for us today. I, what, and you can apply that. I want to be a better, uh, I want to be a better spouse. Start, well, here's, a, here's an idea. Other people won't pick up a marriage book, but they'll pick up a self-help book. Go pick up a marriage book and figure out what it looks like to have a God-honoring marriage. In fact, I'll give you one right now. You ready? I'm reading this one, The Nine Myths That Will Destroy Your Marriage. And the, li- and the lies, uh, nine myths about marriage and the lies that are attached to them that will destroy your marriage. I don't know. It's a long, sto- it's a long title, but it's something like that. It's a great book. I'm about two chapters in, and I'm like, don't like this. And you want different results? Do what other people won't do. When we really know God, our faith and our life should look different. My belief should look different. Our faith should be ridiculous enough to cause us to step out of the boat when everybody else wants to sit down in the boat. Our faith should propel us. Our belief in God, if we've surrendered our life to Jesus, should propel us to a place to where we go, I don't care what everybody else says, I care what he says. And he said, come. He said, let's go. He said, make this move. He said, trust me here. He said, do this. And the reality is, is that ridiculous faith causes me to pioneer a new path when nobody else will go. I'm not waiting to follow, I'm going to lead. I'll do what I need to do. And Peter, man, I love it. He goes, you know what? Y'all can be afraid all you want, but I'm going to look at Jesus. I'm going to be like, if it's you, tell me to come. I'm going to create. Watch this. Everybody else was waiting on the encounter to come to them. Peter created the encounter. You want, God, you want the presence of God to change your life? Create the encounter. You want to get closer to him? Create the encounter. He's the God of the universe. Let's live like it. Ridiculous faith pioneers. Here's another thought. Ridiculous faith listens. Ridiculous faith listens. How many of you know there's a difference in hearing and listening? And all the parents and grandparents in the room said, amen. Sometimes I ask the wrong question to my kids. I'll go, did you hear me? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, but you didn't listen. Your clothes are still on your steps, boy. 
My son's sitting in the room. My oldest. Here, here's the difference. You can tell the difference without even asking, right? If they hear you, then they're just going, yeah, you said something. But when they listen, they actually act on what they heard. Ridiculous faith listens. What, what does it say in verse 20, 28, or 29, I'm sorry, verse 29. It says, and he said, being Jesus, come. Watch this. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. He acted on what he heard. He acted. Now, in the Bible, in the Bible, there's two Greek words that are consistently used that talk about God's word. It talks about what, how he speaks to us. The, no, the first one is logos or logos, however you want to say it. And, 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 and it is used over 330 different times in the New Testament. Over 330 different times. Logos, logos. Here's what it is. It means word of God, or it's also understood to be translated as the written word of God. Welcome. To Logos, welcome to Lagos, right here. This is your written word of God. Watch this. If somebody tries to tell you God said something and it, ain't, it can't be backed up with scripture, God didn't say it. There's a lot of 30-second clips that a lot of us will share that can't be backed up with scripture. They preach good, they sound good, they don't faith good. And we gotta be able to go, hey, not in the Bible. <laughs> and I'm not one that's like, that illustration is not in the Bible. You shouldn't use that illustration because I use illustrations. I'm, I'm a visual learner, right? But can I tie it back to Scripture? Does it, you see what I'm saying? We got It's in the Bible or that ain't in the Bible or I don't know if that's in the Bible. That's okay to say too. The written word of God. And then there's the word rhema, rhema, rhema. Rhema is used over 70 times in the New Testament. And rhema is the constant and current spoken word of God. God is speaking to us. How is God speaking to us? I don't know what he sounds like. I don't know. Paul says that when we have replaced our life with the life of Jesus and we live a life of faith in Jesus Christ, that now, I, now the Holy Spirit has come into us and filled us. And here's what that means. That now means that I can have a current and constant conversation with the God of the universe and hear what he's saying to me because his spirit is within me. The spirit is not an action only. The spirit is an opportunity of conversation at all times as much as anything else. That, how do I know when God's speaking? Well, you got to figure that out. But what I can tell you is I've never read the written word of God and never heard the voice of God. Here's what I mean by that. If I can read this and you know when you read a verse and you go, oh man, here's what that means in my life. Here's, what, here's how I live that out. Here's what that looks like to my kids or my marriage. And then you get challenged, right? And you walk away from the verse and you're like, good grief. I feel like I was in a boxing match with like 10 words. You know what that is? That's the spoken word of God changing your life. Now that we know that God does speak, here's the question. The question is not does he speak. The question is what do we do when he does? What do we do when he does? Am I, am I going to be like my kids that are maturing and growing up? An immature, a person that's young in their faith, they get a bypass sometimes on hearing God speaking. Well, I don't really know what to do with that, right? Because you gotta, you got to kind of learn that, right? When I looked at my, my 12-year-old early on, and I was like, you need to fold your clothes, right? And he looked at me and go, I don't, I don't, know, how, I don't know how to do that. 
You know why he didn't know how to do that? I never taught him. But now, by God, he knows how to fold clothes. Yeah. He knows how to wash them and dry them and fold them. And he's learning how to put them up. But, you know, I'm just kidding. I love you, buddy. He hates it when I do that. He's my introverted one. Um, but, but here's the truth. Like, there comes a moment where God goes, this is how you act on that. That's the con- Hear me. What do we do when God speaks? Because some of you have been holding on to a word and a promise from God for 10 years and then wondering why you still have a void. Because, watch this, what we will do in a relationship with God is we will, we will chase the comfort of his peace and we will run from the discomfort of his faith. Okay, we will chase the comfort of his peace and we will run, I love you, from the discomfort of his faith. Because faith is discomforting. It's uncomfortable. It causes us to do things because we don't walk on a guarantee, we walk on a word. Yeah, that's good. Jesus never looked at Peter and said, if you get out of that boat, you will walk to me on the water. Here's what he said. He just said, come. I will not guarantee anything, but I will call you. And I've got to be able to listen to the word of God. And when he says give, I give. When he says step out of the boat, I step out of the boat. When he says serve, I serve. When he says pray, I pray. When he says whatever he says to do, my faith has to be to such a place that, okay, God, you said it, I'll do it. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'll do it because you said it. I won't be talked out of it because faith propels me, fear paralyzes me. Here's what happens. Listening to God is obedience. Not listening to God is rebellion. And I have to choose my response. God's responsibility is to, is to speak and then come through on his side. My responsibility is will I listen or will I hear? And it's only me that can decide that. Facebook can't decide that for you. 30-second theology clips can't decide that for you, and I love those things. Your friends and your small group, as important as they are in your life, cannot decide that for you. It's only you. Will I listen or will I hear? And then the third thought, the third thought, I gotta, y'all, I gotta hurry up, is this. Ridiculous faith trusts. So ridiculous faith pioneers, ridiculous faith listens, and ridiculous faith trusts. In verse 31, you see where it says, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, this is after Peter is starting to sink. Now watch this. I want to give you something. I want to give you something. It is entirely possible to do everything God asked you to do and be in the purpose of God and walking on his word and still start to stink. Sink and stink. <laughs> but still start to sink. It's entirely possible that you're doing everything right with God and still sink. And life still gets hard. And marriage still takes a wrong turn. And your kids are still not listening. And, and your finances still, why? Because the question, the question is not, did he start to sink? The question is, why did he start to sink? Because his focus got off the provider. And he goes, I'm noticing some things, Jesus. You said come, and I started coming, and the winds didn't stop, and the waves are still going, and the water is still cold, and this is crazy, and I'm getting scared. Sometimes we can walk in faith and still pay attention to everything around us, 
And I just wanna encourage you, keep your eye fixed on the one that loves you. Keep your eyes focused on the one that called you. Don't focus on the ones that are just, that, that don't know. Don't focus on the things that are talking you out of it. Don't focus on the winds and the rains and the waves because they will happen and they will continue even if you're walking in the presence of God. But I, will, I don't have to sink as long as I'm focused on the one that called me. And when it gets hard, I get to go, you know what, Jesus, you called me. You know what, God, you gifted me. God, you gave me the ability because here's the thing that I know about your life and my life. Everything in our lives moves at the speed of trust. Ridiculous faith, trust. In order for you to get here today, how do I know that? You jumped in a car and we have people that drive an hour plus to get to service every Sunday. We have people that drive 30 seconds to get to church every Sunday. It's all across, we have them from different counties, we have people all over the place that come to church here, and we are blessed for that. But every one of you jumped in a car and trusted an engineer you've never met that your car would take care of you and get you here. You are sitting in a chair right now that you're trusting that somebody that put those chairs together knew how to screw a screw in. And you're like, now you're sitting there going, I didn't, I didn't think about it like that. I wish you wouldn't have brought that up. All my warriors are like, I need to check. You got to... Hey, babe, you got a screwdriver on? You know, let me check this thing. And here, here's what I know about trust. Here, or here's what bothers me about trust. Trust is the currency of faith. And watch this. What bothers me in faith is this. We will trust God to save our soul, but we will not trust him to save our marriage. We will trust God to save our soul, but we will not trust him with our paycheck. We will trust God to save our soul, but we will not trust him to help us with our kids. We will trust God to save our soul, but we will not trust him enough to go, hey, you wrote it, I'll do it. Come on. Now I'm on an island. <laughs> and what bothers me is we're like, God, I just, I trust that you you gave your son, Jesus, to die on a cross to pay the debt that I cannot pay, that is intangible and I know nothing about, but all I know is I have an emptiness and I need you and I don't want to go to hell. God, restore a relationship between me and God. Jesus paid my debt. God, let me have a relation. And God's like, yes, and we will trust that. But don't you dare ask me to give anything in that offering plate. Don't you dare ask me to pray for my marriage. Because I know some of y'all are like, he talking about money. I'm talking about marriage. I'm talking about money. I'm talking about parenting. I'm talking about work. Don't, we'll, chase, we'll, we'll trust God to save our soul, but don't ask me to pray for my coworker because he can't help there. Y'all, what God do I trust? And, and, and what I love is in, in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. There's this, it, it explains why we can trust Jesus. Watch this. It says, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Watch this. The high priest of ours, being Jesus, understands our weaknesses, for he has faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Watch this. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Here's why that is a comforting verse. I can trust Jesus because he's been through every temptation you and I will ever go through. He may not have been through every scenario, 
But why does the temptation part matter? Because Jesus has encountered the root of everything you will encounter. No, he's never been divorced. No, he's never went through the, a child custody battle like you have. But he's been through the betrayal and the hurt of loving someone and watching them walk away. He's been through the temptation. He's been through the feeling. He's been through the pain of what you've gone through. And it's not the scenario that will ever tank you. It is the feeling on the inside that will. And he goes, you can trust me because I've been there. You can trust me because I've watched someone I love lay in a grave with sickness. I've wept over a city that I cared for. And I've, I've been, I felt the emotions that you've felt. I love the fact that there's a God that goes, not only will I never leave you and never forsake you, but I've already been through the feelings that you will go through. And you can trust me to walk with you through it. I don't know about you, but when I go through things in my life, I want to talk to people that's been there. I want to talk to people I can trust. I want to talk to people that are like, hey, tell me how to do this and tell me how to do that. And, and I'm just going to copy what you say until I learn another way or I can, I can just like, I can tailor it to my life or whatever. It, why? Because I trust you. And here's the thing. Listen to me. You can trust God. You can trust Jesus with your life. And for some of us in the room, here's the reality. I got two questions. Number one, for some of you in the room today, here in Colombia and the ones in Florence today, some of you, your first step of a ridiculous faith is to go, I need to put my life in the hands of a Savior that loves me. And he loves me in my mess, and he loves me in the midst of my life, but he loves me, as we say here all the time, too much to leave me there. And it doesn't require anything other than the Bible says that I need to believe in my, my, in my heart and confess with my mouth that he is Lord, and the prayer doesn't save me, but the belief of it does. The prayer is the confession of the belief. And for some of you, the first thing you need to do is make the best decision you'll ever make in your life. And that is to go, Jesus, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, and I'm going to figure this thing out of how to walk this out with you today and forever. And then there's some people, I just want to ask this question because I'm going to pray over this. But I just want to, I want to leave you with something to walk away with. What has God spoken in your life that you have not walked on yet? What promise, what request, what change? For some of you, you're like, I don't know what that is. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Go get into the written and into the spoken word of God and figure out what he's speaking to you today. Because it may be as simple as, here's what I want you to do. I want you to show up to work tomorrow with a better attitude, with gratitude, an attitude of gratitude. Come on, praise God, hallelujah. It may be that simple. It, it may be as simple as, hey, I just want you to pray. I want you to spend 10 minutes in prayer every day for the next seven days. Sometimes it's that practical. Sometimes it's you got to do something that's really hard because he's really got something he's calling you to. What is it? And how do we start walking on the word? Here's what I'd love to do. I'd just love to pray over both. If you would, just close your eyes and bow your heads with me today. If you're in the room and you're ready to give your life to Jesus in this moment, and go, I need forgiveness. We got people that are, they're not moving around to distract you. They're just getting ready to serve you with an excellence on the way out. But it's you and God right now. And if you're ready to give your life to him and give him all that you have and ask for forgiveness in your life, I'd love nothing more than to pray for you. If you would, right where you are, just pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, 
I give you my life. I ask that you forgive my past, forgive my present, and Jesus, redeem my future. I believe that you are the Savior that died to pay the debt of sin that I cannot pay to redeem a relationship with me and God back together again. Thank you for loving me that much. Help me walk with you from this day forward every day. And God, thank you for making room for me in the family of God today. Now, as we continue to pray, if you prayed that prayer and you gave your life to Jesus today, I'd love to know who I was praying for. And if you gave your life to Jesus in that moment, would you do me a favor and just hold your hand up real high and go right here. I gave my life to Jesus today. I asked for forgiveness and I asked him to replace my life with his sacrifice so that I can live with him for eternity for the rest of my life. And I believe in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Just hold your hand up high. All that's gonna happen, we're not calling you out, nothing. We just wanna put a clipboard in your hand because we believe in doing life together. We wanna pray with you. We want to give you some information, and we want to answer any questions that you could have because we are a family here at Radiate Church. All we need you to do is fill that card out and take it by the back corner on the way out and just go and just hand it in, and they're going to take care of you from there. Now I want to pray. And hey, God, anything you've asked us to do, would we walk that out? Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you speak to us no matter where we are in life. Help us to walk on the written and the spoken word of God. It is always constant, and it is always faithful, is always reliable. Help us walk in that. Help us be a part of that. And God, I pray that whatever you've asked us to do before and even now, I pray that we'd walk out of here and do it. And God, that you would help us change the world and reach people for the kingdom of God as we walk on a word. Father, we love you and we honor you. In your name we pray. Come on, can we put our hands together for life change in the room today? Amen.